שלום וברכה, אני שמח מאוד שאני יכול לחיות פה, אבל אני חושב שזה יותר טוב שאני אגיד באנגלית. שלום וברכה, נורמלית, אם אתה מגיע למישהו, אתה אומר שלום, וברכה, שלום וברכה. I have the privilege, as I was uh, asked to speak about the suffering Messiah, about fulfilled prophecies as the seal of God on the Bible. So when I will speak about messianic prophecies, I would like to speak about the coming of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago. Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaNotzri, fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament concerning Mashiach, Messiah. So, who is the Messiah? The Messiah in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, is the promised Savior for Israel and all the people of the world. And we have now the privilege to be in possession of the so-called Qumran manuscripts that have been found from 1947 up to 56. And these Namirus Bible manuscripts date from the first century AD, but also from the first, second and third centuries BC. And so we can prove to everybody, to anybody, that the Old Testament was completed in the time before Christ's birth. So all the Messianic prophecies written in the Tanakh have been written before Jesus Christ was in this world. 
Now, when I speak about messianic prophecies, we have to make a uh, we, ha we have to distinguish between the prophecies that speak about a suffering Messiah, like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, and so on. But there are also many prophecies in the Old Testament speaking about a triumphing Messiah that would come one day to rule over the whole world. Now, how is that possible to bring together these two totally different descriptions of Messiah? Now, in Judaism, there you find the, the, uh, the offering of a solution as follows. There are two Messiahs. Mashiach ben Yosef. This is the Messiah who suffers and who will die. But Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, this is the triumphant Messiah who will rule. So Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, would be the Messiah who, like Joseph, was severely suffering, being rejected from his brethren. And Mashiach ben David, would be like King David, uh, a triumphing and uh, wonderful king. But there is a better solution than this. Because you can prove from the scriptures, from the Tanakh, that the suffering Messiah is the same person than the ruling Messiah, the triumphing Messiah. You can prove it from, from the scriptures. Even from Isaiah 53, the one who would die as a sacrifice will be the, the same that will eventually be the ruler. So, these are just two different comings of the same person. And we can prove from the scriptures that the first coming would be the coming of the suffering Messiah. And... As a consequence, the prophet said, when Messiah will be rejected by the mass of his own people, the Jewish people will lose the land of promise and be scattered among all the nations. But in connection with the second coming, that's to say with the coming of the triumphing Messiah, the prophet said, in the period be before his coming, the Jewish people will come back from all over the world, from all the nations, back to the homeland of the forefathers. So, this is really an amazing anti-parallelism. And this evening I would especially speak about the first coming of the suffering Messiah, Mashiach ben Yosef. And that's, that's quite interesting. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, people said, for example, in John 1, We have found the Messiah. Ben Yosef, the son of Joseph. Because the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, was called Joseph. And because he married Mary, he, get, he became the <coughs> legal father of Jesus of Nazareth. So, 
Jesus of Nazareth was really Yeshua ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef. But, by the way, through Mary, he was a descendant of King David. Because Mary, uh, Mary's genealogy in Luke 3 goes back to King David. Not by the royal line, David, David, Shlomo, Solomon, and so on, but by a sideline uh, by Nathan, Nathan. And so Jesus Christ was really a, a son of David, and by the fact that Joseph was of the royal line. His genealogy in Matthew 1 goes back to, uh, to also to King David, but through the royal line. He was a son of David, of Shlomo, Rechaviam, and so on. But for him, this was a problem, because the royal line was cursed. Just before the Babylonian captivity, uh, Jeremiah had to prophesy about the last in this line, which was uh, Jeconia. And he was cursed that never a seed of him will sit on the throne of David. So no descendant of the royal line after Jeconia could ever sit on the throne. So Joseph had no right to become ever a king in Israel. But he was of the royal line, which was cursed. But by the fact that Joseph married, get married with, with, uh, with Mary, he was the legal father of Jesus of Nazareth. And by this, Jesus of Nazareth get the human legal right on the royal genealogy without being a zera, a, a seed of, a biological seed of, of King David through Chiconia. But he had the royal genealogy in his hands without being a seed of Jeconia. And by the fact that Mary was a descendant of the non-royal line of, of uh, uh, King David, he was, as the prophecy foretold it in the, in the Tanakh, a son of David. From the, seed, from the seed of David, Zerah David. And so, this is a wonderful solution. He is really Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. And by the way, of course Joseph was suffering when he was rejected by his own brethren. But later on, he became the, the, the greatest ruler over Egypt after Pharaoh. And later on, his brethren acknowledged him as ruler. So he first suffered, but then became the ruler. And what about King David? He was not from the beginning on king, but he was rejected. And he was even uh, persecuted by the Israeli army under the commandment of, of King Shaul. So, so he was the rejected one, but later on became king. You see, it's the same person, the suffering Messiah, 
and the triumphing Messiah. Now, the prophets indicated the exact time of the coming of Messiah. Let us consider Daniel 9.25, a prophecy given in the 6th century before Christ. So at the time when Jerusalem was burned down and destroyed by the Babylonians. Daniel was also among the captives in Babylonia and received this prophecy. Daniel 9.25 Know therefore and understand. So we should also know and understand this prophecy. It's a command. It's an imperative. Know. Understand. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. So this prophecy says from, from the moment when a word will go out that Jerusalem, the destroyed city, should be rebuilt, you can calculate the days of Messiah. And eventually Messiah will come as a prince. And there should be between these two events in history a period of 7 and 62 together, 69 weeks. But not weeks of days. The word Shavua in Hebrew means a unity of 7. Shavua is connected to Sheva, 7. So, uh, Shavua can be a week of days, then it's a normal week. But Shavua can also be a week of years. And so, uh, one week of years is a period of seven years. And you know, Israel's agriculture in, in the Old Testament was organized in periods of seven years. Every seventh year was a, Shab uh, was, was a year of, of uh, Shabbat, where you did no more seed your fields. So they were used to, to calculate in weeks of years. So 69 weeks means 69 times 7 years. And you have to know that the prophetical years of the Bible are always years of 360 days. Why? Because this is just the lunar solar year. The lunar year, the, the year of the moon, is about 354 point days. And the solar year is about 365 point years. So the middle is exactly 360. And you know that the, 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 the biblical year in the Bible is a mixture of the solar year and the lunar year. Because the months are always according to the moon. The new moon, when the new moon arrives, this is the indication of the beginning of the month. But, you see, the, the feasts of the Lord... Leviticus 23, the seven feasts from Pesach, Passover up to Sukkot, Tabernacles. Uh, these feasts are in fact agricultural feasts. Passover is 
connected to the harvest of barley, then uh, the feast of the weeks, Shavuot, is linked to the to the the harvest of um, wheat. Uh, of wheat, thank you. And uh, Sukkot is linked to the harvest of of uh, grapes and olive trees. So you cannot follow uh, the, the the moon year as the Muslims do, but you had always to correct the moon year according to to the solar year in order that these feasts are always on the correct season in the year. It cannot change through the year like Ramadan. You see, so it's it's a loony solar year, and therefore the the prophetical years are just loony solar years. And this, by the way, you can see in Revelation, in book of Revelation, uh, there uh, you find three and a half prophetical years as thousand two hundred sixty days, or forty two months. So you see, every month has exactly <coughs> thirty days. Now. We can calculate, and this from 445 BC. This was the moment when King Ahasuerus, uh, Artaxasta, uh, who is in history, uh, in secular history, Artaxerxes, Nehemiah II. He gave to Nehemiah the permission to rebuild Jerusalem. And this was in his 20th year, which means exactly 445 BC. And it was in the month, in the month of Nisan. Nisan is in our uh, Western calendar, March, April. So March, April, 445, this Word went out to restore Jerusalem. And then you could calculate. And now, if Jesus of Nazareth is really Messiah, when did he come as a prince? Not when he was born in, Jer in, in Bethlehem. He came really in, uh, as, a, as a, a child born in a poor family. But on the day of... Uh, when he entered Jerusalem, just before the crucifixion, it was Sunday of the of the Palms. He entered Jerusalem and was received by by the by the people in Jerusalem as Messiah King. And they said even the the verse from one hundred uh, Psalm one hundred eighteen, Baruch Ata, uh, uh, welcome uh, the one. Baruch b'shem Adonai. Welcome the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the rabbis explained, when Messiah comes, you will greet him with this word. Baruch means not blessed is. You can't translate by blessed is, but it means just welcome. Yeah? When, when you are invited in, in Israel and uh, you knock at the door, the door is open, they say, Baruch Welcome. Blessed is the one who comes. So they, they greeted him as Messiah on this day. And this was according to the Gospels exactly in the month Nisan, in the month of Passover, March, April. 
32 AD. And now, we can calculate these weeks of years in days, 69 times 7 times 360 days are exactly 173,880 days. And really, from March, April 445 BC up to March, April 30, 32 AD, you can exactly fit in these 173,880 days. And if you would uh, uh, even be more correct, okay, the, the day of the entering to Jerusalem was in the year 32 AD, 6th April. So the, the beginning was March 14, 445, which was the first day of Nisan, which is also the new year of the religious year. So, it's incredible. We can prove by prophecy that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, somebody would say, if this is really a fact, what you present here, then all the rabbis would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But why isn't, isn't that a fact? Now, what do the, the, the great rabbis of the past say about this, this prophecy? Now, one of the greatest rabbis was Moshe ben Maimon, Moses Maimonides, in the medieval ages, 12th century. You see, when there are five Jews in a room, then you have about 13 different opinions. But when you would like just arrive to a conclusion with other people, then just say, Moshe ben Maimon said. Okay. He was even called the second Moses because of his authority in, in Judaism. So what did Moshe ben Maimon say concerning Daniel 9? You can read that in his Igeret HaTeman. This is the letter to the, to the, uh, to the community, Jewish community in Yemen. And they had, just at that time, a problem with the false messiah. And then Moshe ben Maimon wrote, Daniel has revealed the science of the numbers of the end times. But these numbers are hidden from us. Therefore, the rabbis from past, the rabbis of blessed memory, Chazal, they have... Uh, they, they, they have concluded that nobody should calculate these days because we do not understand this prophecy. And we should not calculate it because you could be a stumble block for the, for the <coughs> simple ones, ones in the among the people when they realize that these times of Daniel passed by and Mashiach did not come. So just do not calculate. And he, he writes even more, and he says that the, 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 the Chazal, the rabbis, blessed is their memory, they prayed that the one who would calculate these days, his calculation should be destroyed, and his, uh, his emotion uh, becomes sick. I can tell you, 
I feel well. <laughs> Among you. <laughs> I feel well. And you see, the calculation is here present. Not just close the eyes. Calculate, and it fits. And now, you know that in Judaism, more than 50 false prophets came afterwards. One was, for example, Baal Kochba, who brought in a catastrophe because by his revolt against the Romans, more than one million Jews died in the war. And then it was acknowledged Baal Kochba was not Messiah. But then throughout the centuries, many came, and several of them uh, could really deceive uh, large parts of, of Judaism. Uh, think about Shabbat uh, Tzvi in the 17th century. The, he, he, he had followers in England up to Persia at that time. And they were convinced he is Mashiach. And then he was taken by the Muslims and forced to become a Muslim. And then the movement broke down. Terrible. And you see the, the last uh, person that was considered to be Messiah was uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schnerson from New York. And he died as an old man. And there were about 300,000 followers of him. And when it became clear that soon he will die, they prepared uh, psychologists and other uh, specialists in order to prevent a mass hysteri uh, uh, hysteria that would, uh, would occur. But when he died, nothing happened. And they said, he died, but he will rise again from the dead. Because Isaiah 53 says that Messiah would uh, suffer and die. So, he is dead, but he will rise. And they are waiting since years that he will rise again from the dead. But he came too late. He, he, came, he came nearly 2,000 years too late. And all these 50, uh, more than 50 false, uh, false messiahs, they came all too late to be the true one. But Jesus Christ came exactly in the court time. On the very day. But he should be rejected. Said already Isaiah. Isaiah 53 verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. And Isaiah 49 verse 7. Thus saith the Lord to him. Whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhor, abhorreth. Incredible. And, well, one could say, but Isaiah does not speak about Messiah. What? Take any rabbinic, rabbinical Bible. Mikraot Gedolot. There you have, with, uh, written with the, with the largest letters, the Hebrew original text. Then, beside, you have the Targumim, the translations into Aramaic, with small letters. And then you have the most important commentaries from the medieval ages, uh, from Rashi, uh, Abrabanel, and so on. All the important commentators. 
And now, open Isaiah 53. The chapter begins speaking about the suffering Messiah in 52 verse 13. I, I would like just to quote Isaiah 53, uh, 52. Verse 13, there begins this text. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, visage was married more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, and so on. So, uh, read just in the Targum, uh, Jonathan ben Uziel, the Aramaic uh, uh, translation, and the translation says exactly the same. Uh, my, behold, my, my servant, he will be lifted and so on, and introduces the word Mashicha. It means in Aramaic, the Messiah. In every rabbinical Bible, it is clearly indicated it's Messiah. And in the Talmud, also, I can give you the exact uh, references in, in the, in the Masechet, uh, Masechet Sanhedrin, 98, he, this chapter is applied to Messiah. And I, I could show you many passages in the, in the vast li uh, rabbinical literature hinting clearly to the fact this is Messiah. And even Mashiach ben David. You see, so this was known among the rabbis that the, the ruling Messiah is the same than the suffering Messiah. So Isaiah 53 speaks about his rejection as Messiah. And then in the same chapter, transfer for condemnation. You see, this is now prophecy number three that I mentioned. If you would have the time, we would go until 40, not 300. But I go slowly onwards and we will see up to what num number we will come at the end. Transfer for condemnation, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shares is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus of Nazareth did not uh, try to, to flee away. But he was prepared to go to the tribunal of the Sanhedrin. You see here the... The royal store in the second temple in Jerusalem, and here in the southeastern corner was the seat of the Supreme Court. Here, Jesus Christ was standing, and he did not open his mouth when he was condemned to death by the Kohen Gadol, by the high priest. And in Psalm 35, verse 11, we read about false witnesses that would stand up in front of the, of the Supreme Court. False witnesses did rise up 
They rewarded me evil for good. And you can see in Matthew 26, 60, that there were false witnesses that uh, spoke out against Jesus Christ here in the royal in the royal store. And then maltreatment. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. The Supreme Court decided to bring Jesus Christ afterwards to Pontius Pilate, who had his palace just beside the, the Jaffa Gate of today. Where today you find the, the, the Jerusalem City Museum, this was exactly the spot of Pilate's palace. Here was the process against Jesus Christ by the Romans. And this, what Isaiah foretold of the Evet Adonai, the servant of the Lord, was literally fulfilled at this place. And you see, why can we be sure that the, uh, this story is written in the, in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the truth. Because we can prove that these Gospels have been written in the time of the eyewitnesses. And this is in fact a very dangerous affair. So if sometime, uh, if one day you would like to found a new religion, give attention not to write books uh, at the time of, of uh, eyewitnesses, when you would like to, to spread false informations. Because the, the still living eyewitnesses will say, you see, all is wrong. We have been there. We have seen that it wasn't, it wasn't such. But these evangelists, they wrote their, their books at the time when eyewitnesses that believed in Jesus Christ and eyewitnesses that did not believe in Jesus Christ were still alive. So, when all those of the Jewish community that rejected Jesus Christ wanted to destroy his new faith they could just easily argue you see we have been there and we can can tell you it didn't happen like that but it's interesting read the whole Talmud and you have there informations about uh, about the Jewish people and the Jewish history back even in the time before Jesus Christ and you will not find such arguments. And in the vast rabbinical literature, you do not find this kind of, of arguments. Why? Because this was not an issue. They just wrote what happened. So, Isaiah 52, verse 14, again, writing about maltreatment of Messiah, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so merry, more than any human, any man, his form more than the sons of men. And you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, how this was literally fulfilled. And even more, in 
Psalm 129, verse 3, Messiah speaks, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Now, we know about the Gospels that Pontius Pilate uh, commanded the, that Jesus Christ should be flogged. What does this mean? Now, here, just a, a, a photograph of a flogged slave in America. You see his back. It's exactly like a field that was plowed. And then the crucifixion in Psalm 22, verse 16, we read about Messiah, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. Now you could say, well, Psalm 22 doesn't speak uh, about Messiah. About whom? Who has written Psalm 22? Well, that's clear. Uh, in, in the Hebrew text, uh, the worst verse explains it was King David. But does this psalm speak about King David's experiences? No, of course not. He has never lived what, lived what we find in this psalm. So he's speaking about another one. But about whom? Now, in, in the rabbinical literature, you find the explanation. So, uh, take just the, 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 the book Pesikta Rabbaki. I can give you the exact uh, uh, reference. And there you find the explanation, Psalm 22 speaking about Messiah dying for our sins. And that's amazing. Because in this psalm, you do not read about dying for our sins. You read just about sufferings and about death. From where do they, these commentators take the idea of suffering for sins? This is taken from Isaiah 53. Because there, the prophet says that Messiah will suffer for our sins. So... They, they made just uh, the, the, the link from Isaiah 53 to Psalm 22. Now, they pierced my hands and my feet. Maybe here somebody would say, oh, but you, should, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, translate like that. Why not? Uh, because the text says, Ka'ari. This is not they pierced. Ka'ari is like a lion. And so in many uh, Jewish translations you can read here, like a lion, my hands and my feet. <laughs> of course it's not the sentence. <clears throat> and it's interesting that the oldest Jewish translation, the Septuagint in Greek, uh, made in Egypt in the 3rd century before Christ. They translated in, in Greek, they pierced my hands and my feet. But what about Kari? Take the grammar commentary of Davidson's analytical lexicon, where he explains all the difficult uh, uh, forms in, in Hebrew, and he explains Kari 
is just a short form from ka'arim, comes from the root kur, la kur means to pierce. So, ka'ari means really they pierced my hands and my feet. And this gives also a sentence. And this happened when Jesus Christ was crucified with nails by the Romans. And what is, what is amazing, King David lived a, a thousand years before Christ. At that time, nobody knew about crucifixion because this was an, a later invention by the Persians. And the Persians... Uh, gave this idea to the Greeks, and the Greeks gave it to, to the Romans. So, uh, this, this kind of death by crucifixion is described by King David at the moment, at the time, when crucifixion was not yet known. And then, still in, in Psalm 22, 16, And the, as the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet, I may tell all my bones. When somebody was crucified, they took away his, uh, most of his garments. And in, in Israel, of course, it was not like in other regions that the person was naked because the Jews would never accept something like that. So, just a minimum. But when you, as a crucified one, were looking at, at your body, you could tell all your bones. And then, in the same psalm, Messiah says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of a joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. Now, it is just a fact that under the weight of the crucified, the joints are pitting out. It is prophesied here. And Psalm 22, verse 14 says, I am poured out like water. Under the heat of the oriental sun, the sweat of the crucified broke out in streams. And you can, as a medical doctor, explain exactly why. When you have been crucified, you will get a, th a, 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 a thirst that is really out of, of every thing what is normal. So in Psalm 22, verse 15, Messiah says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And in another messianic psalm, 69, 21, Messiah says, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You see, these are two poetical lines, and they do not say the same, but something similar. Gall, the Hebrew word means a kind of poison. And really, in Matthew 27, you can read how the Roman, uh, Roman soldiers, uh, having some pity with the crucified, they could sometimes give drugs, like opium, in order to, uh, to help against these incredible pains. And Matthew 27 explains that they offered to Jesus Christ 
uh, vinegar together with some poison of opium, but he did not accept. You see, the text says not that he took gall, only they gave me also gall for my meat. They offered. But the New Testament says he didn't accept. But look at the second line. In my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And the Hebrew text means, means really that, uh, that his, uh, his thirst was taken away by this. So Matthew 27 explains that when they gave just vinegar, he took and drank the vinegar. Psalm 34 verse 20 says about Messiah, He, the Lord God, keepeth all my bones, not one of them is broken. And you know, just these two criminals that were crucified together with Jesus Christ, in order to bring them down from the cross before Shabbat would begin on Friday evening, they had a problem, they were still alive. So, Roman soldiers uh, took hammers to destroy their legs. And then, after three minutes, they are dead. Because when your legs are, are broken, you can no more stand on your nails in order to take air in your lungs. So, with that, this was also sometimes uh, a deed of, of pity. So they destroyed the legs of these two criminals and their bones were broken. But then they came to, to Jesus Christ and he was already dead. Mm -hmm. So they didn't broke his, his, <coughs> his bones. As the psalm has foretold, not one of them is broken. Now there was a darkness on the cross for three hours. And this you find already in Isaiah 50, verse 3. God says, in connection with the text speaking about this, the, the servant of the Lord that is suffering. I did not yet explain. There are five poems in Isaiah about the suffering Evet Adonai, servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 53, and... 61. These are the five poems about the suffering Messiah. Now God says, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. And also in Psalm 22, at the beginning, we read, Eli, Eli, lama azavdan, azavtani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from my salvation and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I pray in thy daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night seasons, and there is no silence to me. Jesus Christ was crucified at 9 a.m. But three hours later, this darkness arrived. Do write the, the, the gospel writers. Up to three o'clock when he died. And then Jesus Christ Cried exactly according to these words of Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, Lama Shabaktani in Aramaic. Hast thou forsaken me? 
And so there was a time of daytime and a time of night season. But of course, the question, uh, we should pose the question, how is that possible? A darkness of three hours, this could not be an eclipse of the sun. Because this would never, never be three hours. And a, uh, 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 it is impossible at Passover time to have an eclipse because it's time of full moon. Mm. It's impossible. But it's interesting, we have the, the tradition of a Samaritan historian called Talos of 52 AD <clears throat> who testifies to the darkness of the cross. So this is even outside of the Bible or it, it, is, it, it is known that there was such a darkness but what about the explanation? It was God's intervention but it was a fact that this darkness happened and now we can understand the New Testament says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he had he, God had made him, Messiah, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Messiah was bearing our sins, as Isaiah 53 has foretold it, then God covered everything with darkness. When he abandoned Messiah because of our sins, because God cannot be in fellowship with sin. And this was the moment when God poured out his wrath on Messiah. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And Psalm 69 verse 26 says about Messiah, For they, his enemies, for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. So God has smitten Jesus Christ on the cross when he took our sins on him. And it was just the judgment that we have merited in eternity that fall upon him. And therefore God has forsaken him during these hours of, of darkness. Now... In Isaiah 53, verse 5, we read, but, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So it is clearly, he was innocent. He was perfect. But he took our sins on him. And he identified himself with our sins. And therefore God's wrath came upon him and has smitten the one who was completely perfect in our place for our transgressions. Now in Psalm 102 verse 24 we have again a messianic psalm where we hear Messiah's voice saying, O oh my God, 
take me not away in the midst of my days. So from Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, we know, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So 70 years, or the text says, when it comes high, 80 years. But 70 years are the years of a Jew in the Tanakh. What you could expect. By the way, very interesting, 70 years. When you have a look to the list of the pharaohs in Egypt at that time, it was normal that, uh, uh, it was normal that people lived up to 30. It was the average. Of course, there were all the people, but also people that died as a, as a child, but the average was 30 years. But in Israel, 70. In the time of Moses, when they went out of, of Egypt. Why? Because these people was blessed by the Lord and the commandments were given in order to prolong the life. And it was a fact. But Messiah says, Oh God, take me not away in the midst of my days. So he should die in the midst of these normal 70 years. And really, according to the New Testament, Jesus Christ died when he was 33. This was around the midst of the days of a Jew in the Old Testament. And we can even know where Messiah should die. You know from Genesis 22, how the Lord called Father Abraham to go into the land of Moriah and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him, your beloved son, Isaac, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So, the land of Moriah, what was that? Mount Moriah was well known. Mostly called in the, in the Tanakh, Mount Zion. It's the same. Mount Moriah is Mount Zion. By the way, what you call today in Jerusalem Mount Zion, Harzion, is just a, a mountain beside the Temple Mount. Uh, but this uh, name is known only since about 100 AD. So this is a post-biblical appellation of, 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 of this mountain. Mount Zion in the Bible was always, the Temple Mount was always Mount Moriah. Now God says to Abraham, God be into the land of Moriah. Moriah was well known because on the southern part of the, of, of the mountain was the city of Salem at, in his time. Salem is a, court, a short form of Yeru. Salem. Yeru Shalayim. Shalem was the city of King Melchizedek. And it was a well-known mountain because there was this kingly city. But God says, go into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. So not on Mount Moriah. He does not say, offer him on Moriah. 
but go into the land of Moriah and offer him on one of the mountains there. And so Abraham, he was ready to offer the most beloved son. But God intervened. Genesis 22 verse 14 speaks about the time after this intervention. And Abraham called the name of that place Adonai Yireh. In English, the Lord will provide. And then says Moses, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen or provided. What shall be provided? You know, when Abraham and Isaac went to, to this place, Isaac asked, Avi, my father, you have the knife, you have the fire. Where is the, 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 the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide a burnt offering, my son. And this was prophetical, because really God provided then a ram. Instead of Isaac. Because Isaac could not die for our sins. He was himself a sinner. He could not be Messiah. And die in our place. So a ram. But after this offering of the ram. Abraham gives a new name to this place. Adonai Yireh. The Lord will provide. And Moses explains. In the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen. So God will provide the true sacrifice on this spot in the land of Moriah. So Messiah should die in the land of Moriah on one of these mountains around Moriah. And it is a fact that Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary on this rock just outside the, the Gennat gate the garden gate of Jerusalem that, by the way, has been ex excavated after the Six-Day War. It was possible to make extensive excavations in, in the old city of Jerusalem and they found the second wall of Jerusalem and the Gennat Gate. If one day you, you will come with me to Jerusalem, I will show you the Gennat Gate. Because there is no indications, no explanations. You have just to know where in the Jewish quarter, you have to enter to go down, and I will show you the Gennat Gate. This is the direct gate that went out to Calvary. And now Jesus Christ was crucified there, outside the Gennat Gate, and this is just the hill, the uh, northwestern hill of Jerusalem, beside the Temple Mount in the land of Moriah. You see Adonai Yireh, just beside Moriah. And now, I have still two minutes. I got up to nine o'clock. Let us go back to Daniel 9.26, where we read about the exact time of the coming of Messiah. I did not go further, but then the text says, after his coming as prince, and after shall Messiah be cut off and we'll have nothing. This text says also that Messiah, when he comes the first time, on this exact date in the year 32 AD, he would be cut off and he was killed, crucified on this rock. And the text goes on, 
and we'll have nothing. No kingdom of peace. It's interesting, when, you're, when you are speaking with Orthodox Jews who, who say, I do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's impossible. Then ask, why not? If Jesus would be Messiah, we would have, since 2,000 years, peace in this world. Now, I spoke with an Orthodox Jew and I said, I explained to him that if we would have already 2,000 years of peace, then Jesus Christ would not be Messiah. And I, I, I quoted from Daniel 9. You see, Messiah will come after these 69 weeks and then he will be cut off. And the text says, Yikaret Mashiach, Messiah will be cut off, the ain law, and will have nothing. It's exactly the ain law, will have nothing. So he would have no, no kingdom of peace. So if he would have peace, he is not the Messiah. It's just a fulfillment of, of, the, of the prophecy. And then the prophecy goes on. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And it's a fact. Some years later, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Shall destroy the city. But more. The text says, and the sanctuary. Again, in year 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the second temple. And these stones, in place, you see them still today, are stones of the destruction of the second temple. We are here at the at southwestern corner of the temple place, down. And these are the stones that the Roman soldiers, one after the other, they, they, throw, they, they threw uh, down from the temple place above. Every word has been literally fulfilled. So I have to say, if I would not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I could not sleep well. No more. But I can sleep well. And you see, it, but it is, it is much more important that, than, than just to, to be able to sleep well, to, to be in peace with God. And it is not just to know and to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but that we understand Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our iniquities, that we understand that he died for our sins. Because God is holy, and we, in the beginning we, we, we have, uh, uh, we sung, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. This God of the Bible is holy, and he cannot support sin. And we are all under the, uh, under the fact that we, we are sinners. We have all broken the mitzvot, the commandments of God. So what about our sins? We need a Savior who, who died in our place in order that this holy God has not to judge us eternally. And in, in, uh, in, in the eternal torments of, 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 of hell. 
And so, Isaiah 53 should not be just read, he died for our iniquities, he was wounded for our, for our peace, but we should introduce our personal name. Read once Isaiah 53 personally, just putting your personal name in. Then you are identifying yourself with Messiah. I, I told that Messiah identified himself with our sins when he was on, on the cross. But this does not save anybody. We have to identify with him. And this was in the temple, always the case. When you had to bring a sin offering, a chadat, this was an innocent offering that should uh, die in your place. So people learned from the beginning of Jewish history we need somebody who dies in our place. An innocent substitution. But you had to impose your hands on the head of the, of the innocent uh, offering and then confess your sins. Say, what are your, th your sins? And samach means not just lay our head, hands. Samach means your, your weight, put it on, on the head. So that the weight of, the, of your person is, is just put on the victim. So this is identifying with, with the, with the uh, offering. And then the innocent sacrifice had to die. And you knew when you had to, to kill the, the animal, it was because of my sins. But you had to identify with this illustration. But Isaiah 53 explains these, all these animals that were sacrifices up to the year 70 AD. Then they were stopped. They, they were just hints to the sacrifice of Messiah that really can take away sin. And so it is wonderful to know that... This sacrifice can really save us for eternity. That is my wish for everybody here, that he can say, yes, I can identify myself with my name, according to Isaiah 53, with this sacrifice. Mm. Then you can be saved. Then you can be saved. And it's interesting, up to 70 AD, the sacrifice, then they, they stopped. But in Talmud, in the Talmud, in... Masechet Sanhedrin 39b. You read, during 40 years before destruction of the temple, the, the lot did no more come into the right hand. What does this mean? Now, on Yom Kippur, the high priest had to choose the sacrifice for the people of Israel that should uh, die and uh, to see which is the, the Azazel who had to go into the desert. And they, they brought him a box with lots. And then the high priest had to stand beside the, the altar and put the uh, two hands in the same moment into the box and take the two lots. And then these lots you, you could open and there was written, La Azazel. This is the, this is the, the animal that should go as Azazel into the desert. 
and on the other lot, Ladonai, for the Lord. And this is the sacrifice that had to be killed, and the blood should be brought into the Most Holy by the High, by the high Priest. So in Judaism, it was clear. When the lot for the Lord, La Adonai, comes into the right hand, this was an indication that God will accept the sacrifice of Yom Kippur. And this text in, in, uh, in, in Talmud, Sanherin 39b, says, during the 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the lot did no more come into the right hand. So what did that mean? That God did no more accept the sacrifice of Yom Kippur. 70 minus 40, 30. But it's not 32. No, it's 30. And look in Mark 3. This was two years earlier, in the, in the year 30, that for the first time, several Jewish leaders decided to kill Jesus of Nazareth. And from this moment, every Yom Kippur, the lot came into the left hand. They knew. God rejects our sacrifices. And then in the year 70, the temple was destroyed and no more possibility to, to, uh, to have a real Yom Kippur with sacrifices. Up to today. What? What does this mean? This is just that we can announce the message. See, look to the real sacrifice of Isaiah 53 that was given in the year 32. According to the prophecy of the, the Old Testament. And so we can explain to every Orthodox Jew, if you accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, you are not an apostate. <coughs> Never. No. We should not repeat the, the, the errors of, of the forefathers. When they went at that point astray, we should return and we should go the way of the Tanakh. And then we find peace with God. Thank you. Let me just close with a word of prayer. Um, Father, help us to be hearers, listeners, and doers. Help us to take this message that you bestowed upon us and share that with those around us. Lord, just as you poured the Spirit of grace upon us, may you pour the Spirit of grace and supplication soon and in our days upon Jerusalem, your city. <coughs> and may we see your return. Father, strengthen us and let us have fellowship with one another. In Yeshua's name. Amen.